everybody and once again welcome along to the event industry news podcast a very good morning afternoon or evening um, to all of our podcast followers uh, wherever or whenever you may be tuning into this episode uh, from and um, before we begin today's podcast um, another shameless plug for a sponsor for 2018 if you are a company working within the events industry and you would like to utilize the podcast as a way of reaching out to your own customers, please do get in touch. Since we first launched the podcast, we've reached over 23,000 listeners worldwide. So potentially a great opportunity for somebody to come and get involved with us as our sponsor for 2018. Um, and on with today's episode. Joining us from way across there in Denver, Colorado, um, founder of Spigot Labs, Scott Vitale joins the podcast today. Scott, a very good morning to you. Thanks, James. Yeah, great to be on. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about, uh, well, I suppose two subjects close to my heart. Um, we're going to be looking at um, some tech and some event tech related stuff that Scott and the guys at Spigot Labs are doing, but specifically related to craft beer events. So I'm sure those words have aroused the attention of everybody tuning into today's podcast. Uh, Scott, tell us a little bit first of all about Spigot Labs and what you do before we start looking at specifically how you're working with these craft beer events. Yeah, so um, the, the inspiration for Spigot Labs actually came from a craft beer event. We have a big festival here every year called the Great American Beer Fest. And I, I know it's the largest in the US. I don't know if it's, I don't think, think it's the largest in the world. I think Oktoberfest still has us beat in that respect. Um, but anyway, it's a big festival with all these different kinds of craft beer. And I woke up uh, after attending the festival one year and I thought, um, man, I tried some really fantastic beer and I have no hope of ever finding it again. I don't know who <laughs> made it. I don't know what country it came from. Um, and so uh, I really kind of set out on this path of trying to figure out a way to better track what I tasted at beer festivals. Mm -hmm. Having an engineering background, it, it's sort of... Um, you know, it was easy for me to get started sort of experimenting with different kinds of tech and um, RFID and NFC specifically seemed to be a really good fit for the industry and, and for the use case. And, and so that was sort of the genesis of, of Spigot Labs and we've kind of gone from there. And had you had experience of working with RFID, NFC, you know, wireless technologies in the past? I, I had some brief experience. I worked at a small healthcare IT startup um, here in Denver actually used NFC and RFID for uh, credentialing. Mm -hmm. when, a, when a doctor or nurse would walk up to a, a station, they could credential in using an RFID tag. Okay, so, so there's a basic background there, but like a lot of the best ideas, they're born from going to something and then going, oh, I wish I could have done that, or I wish I could have done this. Um, and uh, for, for UK listeners and, and, and watchers who have ever been to a beer festival, and I'm sure it's probably the same around the world, um, traditionally you get handed maybe some tasting notes or a, a printed uh, brochure or a booklet of some description that gives you a rundown of all of the drinks that are available um, at that particular festival. And, you know, by the end of the night, it may have been left in the table or you've forgotten to make a note of which one that you actually liked or which ones you tried. How does the technology work in, in, in this particular scenario? Yeah, so uh, you're exactly right. The, the festivals here are very similar. Although in fact, here we don't typically even get a set of tasting notes. If you wanna take notes, then you're on your own. So bring, bring a notebook or bring your phone to do so. Mm -hmm. So the idea was um, I wanted to be able to track what people were trying and give them access to that list of data and to be able to do it in a seamless way. 
And so I set out to do it without building a phone app specifically. Right. Because when you're at one of these events, that's, that's really the last thing you want to do is pull out your phone and start punching in data. Mm -hmm. You really want to be there, enjoy the, the event, enjoy the time with your friends, enjoy the different beer you're trying. Um, and so it all started from that sort of um, make it invisible. That, that was sort of the goal. Make, make this able and easy to track and make it completely invisible. Um, and so using RFID, we uh, outfitted some glasses. I have them right here, actually. So we put an RFID sticker on the bottom of... Right. Um, and then for each booth around the event, we'll set up one reader for the individual beers. Um, and so as people walk around, they can take that glass and just tap it on each reader as they log different tastes. It's fascinating to, to, to sort of really hear the simplicity of it because, again, it, it, there are often things that are lost in translation and different things that are done differently in the US than, the, uh, than they're done in, in the UK and, and Europe and the rest of the world. But one thing in common, and I know this from, from going to, to similar festivals over here, is that you're often given a glass, which is your glass to keep for the day. So you've got the vessel you know, the object that somebody is going to be carrying around with them for the day, why not put the RFID chip in it? And like you say as well, people go to these events to be social as well as trying all the drinks. So you don't want to be getting um, phones out all the time. Um, how long did it take you uh, uh, to, to develop the flip side of, of having the RFID chip in the, in the glass to actually develop what would be the touch point um, at the particular station? Yeah, so I, I kind of started with off-the-shelf technology because there's a lot of it out there. And so I kind of got my feet wet and really settled on, on what I liked. And um, then I went out and built the, our actual production units that we're using today. So I've got one of those right here too. It's a little box that uh, has an RFID sensor built into it. It runs on a battery. So if you go to one of these festivals that's outside um, or in a place where power is not easily accessible, um, the setup is as simple as dropping it on the table and turning it on. Um, so we actually, last year, one of our events was at a corn maze here in Colorado. Um, they're just, I mean, think of like the most remote place possible, you know, no power available, no internet available. Um, and we were able to, to provide all that same tracking technology to a place like that. So, so on that subject, you, you've sort of semi preempted my next question, which is what is required from an infrastructure point of view um, in terms of power and uh, connectivity to, to a live connection? Presumably, based on what you've just said, the units uh, and the touch points can work offline and, and store data. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. Um, but typically what we'll do is we'll actually bring in our own internet. It kind of depends on the venue and what they have available. So if they do have internet there, we'll plug into it, but provide our own Wi-Fi uh, access points for our units, just to mm -hmm. make sure that uh, the network doesn't get flooded with guest traffic and attendee traffic. Um, and then uh, in places where networks aren't available, we actually use a, a high powered 4G LTE hotspot. Okay. Able to use that and spread that as a Wi-Fi network for all of our devices as well. So the, the sort of goal is real-time um, tasting and feedback. Um, but as you mentioned, if it is offline or if the event doesn't have connectivity for some reason, then we store up that data and push it up when, when available. And when we look at then the user experience and, and what the, 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 the attendees at the event are actually getting from it, what happens once they've gone to the event, they've had their glass, they've gone around to the different stations, the different booths or the different bar areas, they touch their glass to the ones that they've, they've tried. What then happens? What do they see and what do they get? Yeah, so um, they can interact with the technology as much or as little as they want. So like you said, they've, 
presumably gone around and tried a bunch of different beer and tapped their glass. Um, and then when they're ready to interact with the technology side, that's when they can take out their phone. They don't need to install a third-party app. They can just go to spigotlabs.com. It's all mobile web friendly. So from there, they can see an instant list of what they tried um, and information about the individual beers and the breweries that made the beers. And then they can rate those beers. They can rate them one to five stars. They can take notes if they want to. And then I don't know if the platform is used all that much in the UK, but um, there's a platform here called Untapped, which is sort of a social network for beer. Right. And so um, we're integrated with Untapped as well. So as people taste and rate beer, they can push those ratings and notes directly into their Untapped accounts. And and presumably then what you're building up is is um, ratings. You know, not just from one particular event, but across multiple events you're building up ratings which the breweries which the 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 guys who are actually making the beer can actually see and and get feedback from yeah and and the interesting thing there is um you know brewers traditionally have had have had access to sort of the ticket list um but now we're able to give them one finer level of fidelity which is now i can give you a list of everyone that actually touched and interacted with your product at the event and so it, it becomes a very nice sort of targeted um, method for the breweries to reach out to these new customers that they've made or potentially new customers that they've made. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel intrusive. You know, from an attendee's perspective, they know that they tried that beer. It doesn't feel like they're being um, spammed with marketing data. It's just, you know, someone that they met at a festival reaching out to see if they want to come and check out their tasting room or, um, you know, find them somewhere else. So it's, it's, it's really sort of uh, synergistic there between, between both the brewer and the attendee. When it came to planning those particular elements um, relating to how the, the brewers and the event can then actually feed information back onto the customers that have tried their products, the UK is, is approaching in the next few months a significant change to its um, data protection laws and it's going to be adopting um, a new thing called GDPR which ties into some European legislation which um, changes quite significantly where the onus is on, in terms of data storage and, and sending information out to people. Is, um, as a relatively new product, is it, that something that you, you have to, to bear in mind uh, when you're designing it and, and how do the laws sort of compare and what legislation are you restricted to in the US? Yeah, so I, I actually just heard about the, that uh, European law just, just yesterday, as a matter of fact. I was talking with uh, someone from Ireland who was telling me about uh, the new restrictions. And, and personally, I actually think it's a good thing, right? I think mm -hmm. uh, we, we far too easily end up on marketing lists and spam lists. And so it's, it's nice to see Europe kind of leading the way in terms of cracking down on some of that malicious uh, activity. From our perspective, the email side of things and the contact side of things is really an opt-in process. So when people first arrive in an event, um, we use the barcode on the back of their ID on their driver's license um, to verify that they're 21 and to associate them with their tasting glass. Right. So at that point, the glass is associated with a name, but we don't really have contact information to go with it. Mm -hmm. And so it's only when people go and log in the first time to mm -hmm. actually see what they tried um, that we prompt them to enter their email address. And so sure. sort of in line with that legislation, I could see, you know, providing the necessary um, prompts. And I, I believe you need like a checkbox where people actually have to click to say, yes, I want to. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're wanting to eliminate, um, as I understand it, and I'm no expert on it, but wanting to, uh, to eliminate this assumed opt-in that, that a lot of companies will do. And they'll often pre-check a box and they'll say, you have to uncheck it 
to opt out or or the wording will be such that we're going to opt you in unless you check this box and i think part of this legislation is going to be very much to to shift the onus or, or the power back onto the consumer so they have to really knowingly and consciously opt in to receiving information um, and it's about how clear people people make that um, in the first instance which which will change you know some people's approaches significantly and there, and there's also elements related to data storage however going back to what you said about RFID when we first started talking about it on this podcast a, a couple of years ago and looking at it as an industry one thing that a lot of people perhaps didn't quite get in the first instance which they they found out subsequently is that um, RFID chips don't really store information it's simply a way of matching up something with some data somewhere else um and and is that something that you've had to explain when you've been pitching the idea to the clients how how their customers data is going to be stored and how the the actual chip in the system actually works yeah that's a very common question actually i'm sure i've probably answered it almost as many times as you have right like what happens if i lose my glass or i drop it you know does does someone have access to all my contact data Mm -hmm. you're exactly right for us it's just an identifier so we store that data securely in our database and our backend. And the only people that have access to it are the ones that have been granted through, um, you know, being a brewer or being an organizer, we never sell or publish that data anywhere. And so um, it's very easy to confidently say to people, you know, the RFID sensor itself is, is very safe. You know, you're not at risk of um, having your identity stolen or anything like that um, by using this technology. So, it's a very easy answer once you realize that there's nothing actually stored on the glass, like you said. Sure. And, and tell us about the, um, the initial trials of, of the, um, the Spigot Labs, uh, Lab system and, um, and the first sort of uh, beer festivals that you were able to deploy at. What was the feedback like from the organizers? What was it like from the attendees? And what initial tweaks were made from, from the first versions to, to where you sit now? Yeah, so we actually took... On the implementation side, we took an approach where we didn't go after beer festivals right away. We actually uh, tried to implement this same technology at some events that we understood really, really well. So uh, we started with job fairs. And the idea was that at a job fair, there's exactly one thing that happens. You know, people walk around and they hand out their resume or their CV um, Mm. to individual employers around the room. And so it's one very specific interaction. It's very predictable. You sort of know how people are going to do it. Um, And so we built the platform with beer in mind, um, but started off with that as a kind of our test case and our guinea pig. And we did a number of events uh, using just that, doing doing resume exchange and then also doing contact information exchange, like a traditional sort of conference lead capture approach. Uh, So we we did uh, almost 20 events with that style of of approach and that style of technology before we sort of dove into um, beer festivals, which really you know, as we talked about earlier, is is kind of my impetus and passion. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we got to beer festivals, we had a really good sense of sort of what it looked like. And when we did the first one, which was last year's Belgian Brew Fest, last April, April, end of April last year, it was the one day that it snowed in April in Colorado. <laughs> so so we, uh, when we when we got ready for that event, we were all pretty well prepared about what it was going to look like and how the technology piece was going to perform. And so really, like you said, it was about interacting with the attendees and with the vendors and making sure that they're well-educated and how everything was to work and um, what kind of feedback they could get. And the, and you know, what they, the reactions were fantastic. 
And the, the people, I'll never forget, the people checking in in line, they would get their glass and literally the first thing they would do is turn it over and just stare at that sticker on the bottom. <laughs> just in amazement, right? They're like, how is this gonna track what I try? Um, but you know, for, for me, that's like a really warm sort of fuzzy feeling. It's like, yes, you know, someone is, they're excited about this and they're really curious in how it all works and how the pieces fit together. Um, and so the, the feedback there was, was fantastic. We went on to do two other beer events last year. We have one on the books for this year already. Um, and so it's been, it's been really positive. It's been um, great feedback from organizers, from brewers, from attendees, really all, all around the spectrum. Um, one of the key features that you mentioned early on in today's podcast was um, this idea of, of people being able to, to use the technology um, very surreptitiously, I suppose, you know, so they have the chip on the glass and they're not having to get a phone out of their pocket and tap on it. However, um, a lot of events now are using apps as a way of communicating certain elements of their show. And people are very used to now going around and being on their smartphones on a regular basis. So um, is there any element of your service that, that allows events with apps and with CRM systems or websites to actually dovetail in? Is, are there APIs that have been produced to allow your system to integrate with any other services that an organizer might be, might be using? Yeah, in fact, um, we, we have quite a bit of that already. So we have, we have an open API. So um, attendees and vendors alike could actually use our API to pull data and present it in different ways than what we're presenting it. So that's sort of step one. And then we've also built a number of integrations already into CRM systems and marketing systems. So we have one for Salesforce, we have one for MailChimp, we have one, have one for Evernote. And so the, specifically the vendors and the organizers can take the data that we collect and then push it into those systems if that's what they're using. Um, as well as export to a standard CSV. So if they're using something else, it's usually no problem to get that imported as well. Um, on the app side, I, I think that's a really interesting observation because I, you know, it's true. All all events sort of want their own app. It's sort of the the hip thing to do. Um, and so I I've been talking with a number of app developers that specifically focus on these types of types of events on beer festivals. Yeah. Um, one based here in, in Portland, Oregon, called Digital Pour. Um, who I, I've talked with just recently. There's one in Kansas City uh, called Pour Me A Beer. So I, I've been talking with a number of those companies about how to integrate with them. And the idea would be to use um, our data capture ability, you know, our, our ability to be on site and capture what's happening in real time, and then just feed that into their platform so that they can present it, you know, within their app in whatever way makes sense. Sure. And, and, and can they... Um... Thinking outside of the, the festival environment and the sort of the, the limited time um, uh, environment, is there any scenario whereby your service could be, uh, instead of having the, the, the chip in the glass, that you could utilize the NFC that's available now in, in modern smartphones and people could actually have a permanent you know, account, so to speak. So if they're out in a local bar and they try a beer that they like, maybe they, they, you know, touch points could be available actually in bars rather than just temporarily at events. Yeah, I've, I've actually got a few brewers that are, that are totally chasing me over that exact idea, right? They, they love the concept and they're like, how can we bring this to our bar? We want every one of our customers to be using this. And so I think there is a lot of capability there. And, and as you said, that mobile phones these days almost all have it built in we're using that in part of our registration flow. So when, when people come in and we're getting them registered that first time, we use mobile phones to read the RFID tag and, and make that initial association. 
And so, you know, the technology is already there and, and just sort of figuring out the ergonomics of it are really what it boils down to for a, for a bar or a pub. Um, I, I think the struggle is that if you talk to a bartender, or you talk to, to someone that works in a, in a pub, you know, their one focus is don't slow me down, right? Don't hmm. make it harder for me to pour a beer, distribute a beer, or start a tab or close a tab. Yeah. So I, I think that's sort of the, the hurdle there is an understanding how to really design the user experience and the ergonomics so that, you know, they're getting valuable data from the customer, but they're also not hurting their business in another way. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the last thing a guy wants to be doing at eight o'clock on a Saturday evening is taking up more time tapping devices or registering people. Um, you've already alluded to the fact that when your system was first developed, um, it wasn't actually deployed in the first instance in, in, in beer festivals. You, you, you were working with other events to sort of gauge the, the initial sort of usability and, and, um, and the logistics of it, I suppose. Um, having now established that, and looking at, at, at it being looked at uh, for craft beer festivals, presumably the fundamentals of the system can now be translated to other um, food and beverage events, you know, whether that be food, food festivals, um, gin festivals are a huge market in the UK. We're seeing more and more people getting into gin as a marketplace. Uh, wine festivals, I'm sure, is something you could look at. Is that something that you've already had approaches about from, from organizers of those type of events? Yeah, I've talked to organizers of, of whiskey events and wine events and, and food and food and beer pairing events. That's also another interesting one because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times one, one or the other will get lost in the noise. So either the attendees are more focused on the food or they're more, more focused on the beer and they'll sort of lose track of the other one. Um, so there's, I think it translates well to any of those industries. There's always value in, in understanding your attendee base and understanding what their preferences are and what they liked and what they didn't like. Um, and for those events, you know, they, they really have no way of measuring ROI in, in today's system, right? So mm. you put on uh, a food event or a wine event and you don't really know, you get some anecdotal information like, you know, how long was the line or how, how much product did you go through? But in terms of gauging, you know, the, the vendors that were there and understanding um, who really got the most bang for their buck and who, who should be invited back next year and who shouldn't, I mean, Curation is such a big part of those events. Yeah. From an organizer's perspective, to really be able to get a sense of the quality and the reception of a particular brand with their audience is, is huge. It's, it's something they don't have today. And, and I think it's something that's really, really missing. And the other thing that, that, that strikes me with this particular system is that um, a lot of people go into these types of events, uh, whether it be food or drink, relatively blind. You know, that, that they don't go in with a very, very sort of focused idea of, I'm going to drink that beer and that beer and that beer, or I'm going to try that one, that one and that. It's very much they go in and they go, I'll just, I'll, I'll just pick one and, and go from there. And I think what that can potentially do is at, at the end of the event, it could give the organizers a false sense or, a or false statistics about what was popular and what wasn't popular. It, it, it could just simply be that that happened to be the one that was luckily chosen by people as they walked through the door. Um, I guess with a system like this, it gives them a bit more of a statistical analysis to actually look at not just what was sold and the quantities that they went through, but what the actual feedback from customers was as to the quality of any given product. Yeah, exactly. And, and trends across that as well. So, you know, for one individual being able to trend their, uh, their styles and their preferences across the event and across multiple events, you know, now you have someone that's attending, that's attended a half dozen Spigot Labs enabled events and 
you know, we have a pretty clear idea of what their beer preferences look like. What do they gravitate mm -hmm. towards? Are there certain breweries? Are there certain styles? Are there, um, you know, do they start with the heavy stuff and they move to the lighter stuff towards the end? <laughs> um, the, all those sorts of, of behavioral items, which, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's all very anecdotal today. And to really be able to quantify that and analyze that and provide some really interesting sort of, um, you know, forward predictive data. Absolutely. And, and I know loads of people who've been to these, these types of events and, and myself included, and you walk away from them thinking, oh, I wish I'd have tried that one, or I heard good things about that and I never got a chance to. And also when you think back chronologically, you know, you like to sort of, you can remember that you drank certain things at certain times, but I guess if you can look back on an email and you can see that it was that beer at that particular time and that one at that particular time, people can actually start building up that, that, that clearer picture of, um, of what it is they tried, what it is they might like to buy in future. Yeah. And there's, there's some interesting ways that we're talking about helping with that process too. You know, the Amazon has sort of changed the way we all think about shopping. Mm. You go to look at a product on Amazon and, and you get kind of the, Oh, well, if you like this product, then you should check this product out. You know, you end up with this sort of breadcrumb approach of like, you're being led towards things that hopefully you like even better than where you started. And so I, I can really envision the same sort of process at beer festivals. It's like, okay, I can, I know which beers you enjoyed. I know which ones were highly rated. And so now I can start to suggest, well, if you liked this, you'll, you'll probably like this similar beer from this other brewer or, um, you know, really start to help people navigate that landscape because at some of these events, I mean, GABF that I mentioned earlier here in the States is, is kind of the extreme, but you know, they have, I can't remember the exact number, but I want to say they have like 15 or 1600 different types of beer all on tap, you know, in a four hour session. And so you, you really have no hope of, of trying even a fraction of them. Yeah. So to sort of steer your way and build sort of a roadmap for the types of beer that you like, um, again, would be a huge user experience improvement. It, it absolutely wouldn't. I, I dread to think what it would be, what the man who tries 1500 beers in, in a single session would look like at the end of that particular session. And, and I don't for one minute endorse anybody goes out and tries that. Please, please do not take that as an invitation to say challenge accepted. Um, are there plans at, at the moment? Obviously you guys are based um, in Denver, Colorado and, and you've, you've um, deployed the service at, at, at American based events. You're talking to us today, how easy would it be to, to bring the service over to, to UK and, and European events, given that there is a certain amount of hardware that also has to be deployed at the same time? Yeah, I mean, the, the nice part about the hardware is we've kept it pretty compact and small. So, so yeah, there, there will be sort of some shipping costs to get that stuff over to the UK. Um, but other than that, there's nothing about the platform that really precludes us from working in one place or another. Um, I think making sure that we follow the, the privacy laws of, of whichever country we're operating in. I think that's, that's a really important item for me. But then, you know, in terms of logistics, actually making it happen, uh, there's really nothing stopping us from it. I, I enjoy traveling. I've never been to the UK. <laughs> so. And, and of course it's more beer to try. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and, and what, what, what wouldn't anybody love about a guy who created event technology that services uh, beer festivals? Um, yeah. it, 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 in, in my book, and this is just one humble man's opinion, is genius. Well done. Um, 
We've been talking today on the podcast um, to Scott Vitale. Scott is the founder of Spigot Labs. Um, they've been working on um, event tech and, and uh, RFID tech that's being deployed and has been designed specifically in the first instance for craft beer festivals. But we've been discussing its use and its deployment at other food and beverage related events and how it could translate. And it's been, um, it's been a, a very, very interesting uh, podcast to, to talk to you about today, Scott. And we hope to maybe see you over in the UK at some point in the future. I'd love that. Yeah, thanks very much, James. I enjoyed this. <laughs> if, uh, if people want to find out more uh, about it, how do they track you guys down? Give us the website. Yeah, so if you go to spigotlabs.com, that's S-P-I-G-O-T labs.com. Um, that's kind of our landing page. There's also a video on there from the Belgian Brewfest that we had last year um, that gives a great sort of overview of what this technology looks like and what it feels like from an attendee's perspective. Um, so that's, that's where to find us. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, pretty much all, all the social media under Spigot Labs. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out and uh, ask any questions you might have too. Superb. And on that subject of, uh, of social media and, uh, and, and all, all, all of the platforms, um, don't forget that you can stay um, up to date with all of the latest news from eventindustrynews.com by downloading the um, Event Industry News app available for all the major mobile devices. On Twitter, we're at Event News Blog. Find us on Facebook as well. And speaking of Facebook, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the podcast goes out once a week, uh, pre-recorded episodes. But on the last Wednesday of each month, we're going to be uh, producing a live, a Facebook live uh, podcast. So you'll be able to tune in via our Event Industry News Facebook page, ask questions, speak to our guests in, in real time and get us to put stuff up there um, and see what we're up to that particular week. Um, subscribe to the Event Industry News newsletter to stay up to date with the specific information related to those. But for now, we wrap up today's podcast by once again thanking our guest today, um, Scott Vitale from Spigot Labs, joining us from Denver, Colorado. Uh, my name is James Dixon. Thanks very much for tuning in, and we'll see you on next week's podcast. A very goodbye to you. Mm -hmm.